Josh Pollard. I'm Joe DeSazio. And this is Story Players, the podcast that analyzes story-driven video games. On today's episode, we are discussing Tacoma. So Tacoma is a first-person 3D game where you are traversing a space station the entire time and interacting with the environment, picking up things, looking at them, and then there is a new mechanic that we'll get into in a little while where you're dealing with augmented reality recordings. So it's not, this isn't an action game. This isn't a shoot, like we've been doing a lot of Mass Effect episodes and that is an action game, RPG game, but this is not like that. Nope, not at all. There's not, there's, there's almost no action. Almost no action. So this is, this is exploration, checking things out almost like detective work, trying to piece together what has happened on the station. Because when you arrive on the station, there are no people. Right. And, you know, the the odd thing is that, you know, 98% of the gameplay is detective work of you, of of your character personally, trying to figure out what happened here. But that's not what you're here to do. Your, Your character's job there is get in, recover the AI system from and all of its recorded data from from the internal computer system and bring it back and that's it but that's boring like you there's really not much to that you walk up to these various uh sections of the ship in the various departments you stick what looks like a nintendo ds to the wall and it says this is going to take a while like you get a couple of messages from somebody and they're like hey it's going to take a while Come back after a while, I guess. And during that time is when you go and explore and try and figure out for yourself, not for the people who sent you, but for yourself, what happened on the ship. So, what did you think about? Like, what, what did you think about this? Did you like this game? This is is this prob- is this the first time you played this kind of game? I well, I would say I've well, I've not played Gone Home, which is the studio's first game, which a lot of people have have compared this to a lot. But I haven't played it, so I can't. I can't really make that comparison. I think that it's similar to Firewatch, and I played okay, Firewatch, yes, yeah, and I really enjoyed Firewatch. Firewatch has more stuff that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I felt like, but I did like this. You liked it. I didn't love it. Okay, it's certainly not as good as like Life is Strange for me. But uh, I I enjoyed it. It took me almost three hours. I certainly wouldn't consider that three hours that I wished I would have been doing something else or, or even playing a different game. You know, I, I, I was happy to have played it, but it's not, it's not a game that's going to go down on, on my 10 best list. That's for sure. 10 best for the year or 10 best of all games. <laughs> I, I, I meant 10 best of all time. Oh, okay. 10 best for the year. How many games have you played this year? 10 ish. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I don't keep as good of uh, what our listeners, one of the many things that our listeners don't know about us is that you are meticulous in your tracking of games that you're playing, want to be playing uh, when they came out. So that you, when someone says top three games of the year, you've got a decent idea because you actually log this stuff. I don't. Yeah, but I have to look it up though because I can't keep all that in my head. Yeah. So what about you? How much did you enjoy this game? I liked the game. Um, this The story was, I wouldn't say amazing. No, uh, it has a twist in it, which mm-hmm. is good. I mean, at least it's got a twist, right? But it wasn't, and it's not a, a, a twist of the M Night Shyamalan variety. No, nothing crazy <laughs> like that. Um, but 
from from a gameplay perspective, from a how are games developing over over the decades that we've had them? I feel like this is a really good next step. I feel like that there's that Fulbright has taken uh, another step in developing the walking simulator genre. Like walking simulator used to be a pejorative and it still is for some people. It still is for a lot of people, but yeah. But back, I think I would say Dear Esther was probably the first walking simulator. And I think that was just, it was too foreign for people. Mm. And where there was literally almost zero gameplay and it was, here's an environment and you, you do, you walk and it's pretty linear and you walk from, from the starting point to the ending point with a little bit of exploration in there. But all the story was given through voiceover as you walked. Mm -hmm. So it, so it was like watching a movie where your perspective never changed. And I think that was, that was like the beginnings. And since then we've had games like gone home and firewatch. And I think this, this game takes the next step where it, it gives you some more interactivity. I feel like we're still not quite there in terms of finding unique ways for games to be able to tell stories. But I like, I like where this is going. I feel like we're getting somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, I was telling my wife, who's not a gamer, uh, about this game and, and the story itself. And she was she was kind of trying to help me piece together my own thoughts on, on the game. And at, at one point, you know, she asked me, don't you have a say in, in whether or not the people make it off the ship or what happens in, in this scenario? And I'm like, nope, not, not in this game. Like, you don't have choices in this game. You don't have dialogue options. This is perhaps the closest thing to a movie that I've ever played because you're, you're just along for the ride here. Yeah. But you, you, you can't just sit back and wait for it to happen. You have to, you have to go seek it out and and you have to piece it together. Sure. Uh, it's, but I'm not even sure that you have to piece it together. Well, so this spoon feeds it to you. It does. And I, when I first heard about this game, I thought that it was going to be a lot more open than it was. Mm-hmm. I thought that you're going to have full access to the station and you were just going to explore. You would notice, you would notice a conversation happening, not a real conversation. It's a recorded conversation. Right. And you would follow along and, and people would, would, would be walking and coming and going and you would choose to follow people into other rooms and, and that you do that. That's exactly what you do, but they lock you into, into a certain area until you've explored or, listen to all of the conversations and and things that happen in that section before moving on to the next section Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit different than what i expected and so it does it is much more linear that way yeah i and i i liked that actually because you know what before i jump into a game like this i'm always looking on the internet to see how long it normally takes people and I look at the average and I look at the leisurely playthrough time <laughs> and I always end up being closer to the leisurely playthrough because I think I'm just slow at games. Yeah. And part of that makes me more drawn to playing more linear games because I'm already slow. So I don't want to have to do a whole bunch of extra backtracking and all this stuff. When, when with a game like this, I am here for the story. Mm-hmm. Don't make me do a bunch of useless crap to experience your story. I, I Just give me the story. I don't mind if it's linear. Yeah, I, I think it worked out for the for the best. Mm-hmm. It's just not what I expected because I was wondering how they were going to handle. How are you going to handle being able to tell a story 
how big of a story can you really tell when your players can be coming at it from all sorts of different angles and getting different pieces of information at different times? Right. That's exceptionally difficult. And so one solution here is to, is to make it more linear. And so you, you are getting bits and pieces, but they're controlling what parts you get at certain times. So even though as you're going through in a linear fashion, things are out of order, you're not right. getting things in either forward order or backwards order. It's, it is jumbled, mm-hmm. but they're able to control which parts you get. So I think that was, that was a, probably a good decision on their part in terms of making the story understandable. Yeah, I I think that that was a pretty tough job, I, I would guess. I thought they did a really great job of piecing that all together in a way that would make sense. That, you know, I, I was able to completely understand the story, despite the fact that there would be jumps where you'd go in and you'd see a recording that was from 18 hours ago. And then you'd wander into another room and you would see a recording that was from 10 months ago. Yeah. Or, or maybe three hours, not three hours ago, but like 26 hours ago. And, you know, and it would, it would kind of jump around all over the place, but not in, in such a horrible way that you couldn't figure out how it worked. So let's, let's talk real briefly about this AR, this augmented reality video mechanic thing that they have going on. So this is the way that you get the whole story you wander into a room and you get a little thing that says there's an AR recording. Do you want to play it? And you play it and all of the characters who were in the room because everything that you do on this space station is recorded. The in-game explanation for it is that anybody who comes onto the station is allowing themselves to be completely recorded mm-hmm. and they have, I don't, I, so when you start, when you start and enter the station, they give you these little nodes, these little, they almost look like earbuds, wireless earbuds kind mm-hmm. of, and you stick or them, nicotine patches that you stick behind your ears <laughs> that you stick behind your ears. And as soon as you put them on there, you start to see in your vision, you start to see these uh, augmented reality, this in- interface that appears. And so I don't know if that's simultaneously providing the interface to you, but also acting as the recording mechanism. Mm-hmm. But so anybody who's on the station is allowing themselves to be completely recorded. Right. Which is how, you know, it's how they allow this whole gameplay conceit. Yeah. So I I thought this was really neat. You know, having the ability to rewind, fast forward, that they would give you little points on the scrub bar that there would be an indicator of like, hey, this is when that person was activating their AR computer. You can go and access their computer at that point in time also, which was really how you got way more of the details of what was going on as you're reading through journals and text conversations with other people. Another thing that I liked was this game is super voyeuristic, you know, like sure you're in this environment where like you're in someone's house and just watching a family live for a year or, or whatever. And that, that can feel super creepy. And I think because of, I'm guessing because I haven't like talked to the developers or, or read many developer interviews, but one of the things that they did was the the AR holograms, I guess you could call them, of the people. They're not super detailed; they're like, just shapes. They're yeah, just, it's like a silhouette. Exactly. So you you can tell that that Andrew's a a, a shorter guy and Clive is a really tall guy mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but you you can't see their faces. 
No, you just if you look into your your computer, you can you you get a little bio of each of the characters, mm-hmm. and there's just a not a mugshot, but you know, like a driver's license or an right. ID sort of <laughs> picture, and that's really all that you have to go yeah. on for what these people look like, mm-hmm. aside from their hologram silhouette body shape. What's cool is that each character is also color coded and has an icon that represents their role mm-hmm. on the station. So you've got you've got like the the station administrator, you've got the botanist, you've got the network specialist, the medic, that sort of thing. And each person has a gigantic circle with an icon on their back mm-hmm. that represents. So you know, it, so you don't have to recognize people just trying to figure out by their body shape or by their voice. It's everything put together helps identify that person. I, I like that. Yeah, I, I think that was a nice nod to, well, we don't want to do things by the people's faces because that would be creepy. We don't want to do things just by color because for some people, people with color blindness, that's not going to work out super well. So let's come up with a bunch of different ways of being able to identify all of these characters. Well, just think of all the all the development work that also has to save. Right. In terms of mm-hmm. facial animations, the texturing and all that. Oh, yeah. But I totally agree with you because there are a few uh, scenes like a shower scene and in a, a like locker room undressing scene mm-hmm. that, yeah, would have felt very different had these these been realistic looking uh, oh, yeah. models. Yeah. Right. So this mechanic of rewinding, it's kind of neat. It's like it's like you have a oh, I was going to say VCR playback. <laughs> but how many of our listeners even know what a VCR is? <laughs> but, you know, you're doing a video playback. But it's cool because you're seeing it in the environment and you can you can control, you can do fast forward, rewind and then completely reset. And it, I, it was fun to see the scene start out with a bunch of people and then a couple of people would just leave and you can still hear them off in the distance. Mm-hmm. But you're like, wait, 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 wait. But I want to hear what these what, what these guys are saying. <laughs> right. And but it's OK. You just focus on a couple people. And then when they're done talking, you just rewind and, and then follow these guys for a little bit. And you can kind of see you know how people if they're all talking about something together and then they would leave and then talk about what they really think afterwards right you know or uh, or times where you see three or four people in different areas and you can see what they're all doing before they all came together uh in one room the the other thing that i liked about this this being the primary game mechanic is they didn't tell you at all how to use it Mm-mm. but it was simple enough to easily figure out you know, like I didn't immediately even notice the little things on the scrub bar, but then oh, the little icons that tell yeah, you like question marks, right? The little question marks that as it turns out are just, Hey, go to this point in the timeline, look for this person's icon and you'll be able to access their computer. Mm-hmm. But you figure that out fairly quickly. So yeah, I, I thought they balanced that whole, we don't want to have to spoon feed you and, and guide you through a big tutorial on how to play this game. And still have it accessible enough that I think most people are going to be able to figure that out pretty yeah. quickly. There is a little bit of puzzle element to this because there are times where you're locked out of a room mm-hmm. or a locker and you've got to figure out the four digit code to get right. in. And they and there's a couple ways to do that. But the really cool one, the fun one, is you realize that at some point in this recording, the person entered the code into that pad. And so... All you got to do is rewind to that point and watch as they touch it and it lights up the numbers for you. Huh. (laughs) I never did that. You never did that? How did you get the numbers? How did you get into doors? So I thought the most challenging one was the code to get into Evie's office. Evie is the administrator of the ship. Mm -hmm. And 
I figured right away that it, it probably had something to do with her sister's death and her sister's funeral or her sister's birth date or something like that. Now, I hadn't written anything down, so <laughs> I had to go back to her her quarters and pull out the, the funeral service card again and write down, like, you knew... Every number that you saw? I basically wrote down all of the numbers that seemed like they would be relevant. Uh-huh. So, But you can't see her birthday because there's another sheet of paper, paper clip to it. Because huh. I figured it would be her, her birthday or her birth year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, maybe it's the year of her death or maybe it's the month and day or something like that. So I wrote all those down and went back and I believe it ended up being the month and the day. Huh. And then the other one that was like that was Dr. Sarah Uh and hers. I think this is for her gym locker or maybe it was her computer. I don't really remember. It doesn't really matter that much, but hers, I had been in her office already and was looking around at various things. And again, didn't write everything down (laughs) And then get to the item that needs to be unlocked. And there's a sticky note on it that says graduation. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, back in her office, I saw her diploma from when she got her medical degree. <laughs> I guess I just got to go back to her office and find out what year she wow. graduated. And sure enough, that's what it was. So actually, yours was much more puzzly than mine. Because yeah. in the case of Evie, I was trying to get into her office well before I found her room. Oh. So... Yeah, I just I just rewound. I saw her go into the office and I rewound <laughs> and then she just boop, boop, boop. And it light it just literally lights up each key like it, it lights up each number. So, you know exactly what the type. And I did that for her and I did that for Sarah's locker in the locker room. And I think actually there was only one lock that I ended up forgetting about and didn't go back to. And that was the in the storage room. Mm-hmm. and it's much it's farther along in the game i don't know if it's in the network area or the engineering area but there's a storage room and there's a lock there that i never i never figured out it's the room where nat and and roberta start making out i don't even remember there being a lock i don't think i unlocked that one either oh okay there was an achievement for doing like everything and i didn't get it so i was was there also one in the irrigation room where andrew has his breakdown I was thinking there was something like Well, there was a lock to get into the irrigation room. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, my way was more puzzly, but your way was awesome. Like, (laughs) that's a really, really really smart way of figuring that out. Yeah. So that was cool. And it it reminded me of the detective stuff in the Batman Arkham games. Mm. In some of the later ones, like Origins, and I believe uh, Arkham Knight also had it, where you would come across a crime scene and you you would use your detective vision you know, Batman with his high tech toys somehow, <laughs> somehow re- recreate the past, but you would skim through certain things and you try to, you would try to find clues on the ground and pieces mm-hmm. of evidence and whatnot. So it wasn't as detailed as that, but it did remind me of that. And it's a lot of fun. That's cool. Your, your progression through the game is tied to those question marks that are, that are in the recordings. So each recording can have, you know, three, four, whatever of these question marks that mm-hmm. indicates that at some point in that time, Somebody's opening up their their computer or their AR, what have you. Right. You have to get those. You like you have to find them and read those things. You don't actually have to read all the stuff. You have to like open it up. Mm-hmm. That and that's counting as a recording. And that's what's that's what your progression is all tied around. Right. So, but when you open it up, when you open up each of these AR things, there's like four icons usually. I think, and you can open up 
and there's usually different notes. Sometimes it's a chat. Sometimes it's an email. Sometimes it's a picture. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Well, I'm a moron and it took me a long time to realize that there are four and not (laughs) just one. (laughs) So it wasn't until I think it was the shower, the shower scene where uh, I think it's Nat. She's Mm -hmm. just listening to music in the shower. And when I opened up, she's and also taking a shower and looking at her thing, right? her AR thing. That's pretty cool. And I opened it up and nothing opened up right away. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I guess I should try opening one of these things. And then, I, then I'm like, oh, each of these things is a thing. <laughs> and so from then, on, from then on, I did it. But mm-hmm. I missed tons of stuff at the beginning oh. that I didn't even think to open. So did you go, did you go back? No, I, I didn't go back. Huh. So... So aside you know, from, I wondered myself if there were things that I had missed because I just hadn't figured out the whole go and look at people's computers things. Mm-hmm. So maybe during the party or something, maybe something was in people's computer systems back then that I missed. Right. Yeah. I, that kind of sucked. I wish. Yeah. I wish maybe the first one had just not opened up anything, but maybe I would have not understood that I needed to do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, my problem. So. Next, I want to talk about the characters that are in this game. There's not a lot of them, but one of the things that I think is really neat about Tacoma is that they're really diverse. The character that you're playing as, I believe, is Indian. There's an African-American woman, Evie, the... I guess maybe not African-American because I believe she's from Vancouver, but (laughs) they have different names for the regions than what we use now. Uh, so probably not America. We have Andrew, the botanist. He's Asian. And then, uh, you know, Clive is is a British guy. And then... Uh, Natalie is uh, from Australia. Oh, she's from Australia. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. I, I couldn't quite pin the accent. So they're they're racially diverse, which is cool and something you don't see a ton of in video games. But there's also multiple gay characters in this game you've got natalie and roberta who are romantically involved with each other in the game and then you also find out that andrew the botanist is married and his husband is back on earth and he's got a child with with his husband also all of this did lead me to wonder one thing about this game were the developers trying to use the fact that fully half of the crew members on this ship are gay? Was that more of a speculation, perhaps, of where they think we're headed as a society? And, you know, this game takes place 60 years from now. And certainly I wouldn't expect a, a crew of six randomly put together people, as at least it seems as if there there's not a whole lot of choice in, in who ends up where today in that scenario I wouldn't expect half of those people to be gay but maybe in the future that might be the case so I'm wondering if if that was something that the authors were trying to to speculate it's always hard to guess intentions but we can always wildly speculate and that's always fun <laughs> and probably unfair but you know it could be that the type of work that this is, maybe it attracts a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this something, if you're working in outer space on a space station pretty far from Earth, I mean, this is a this is a transit station for supplies to the moon because there's, <laughs> there's like a resort or something on the moon, which is pretty cool. 
um, you know, maybe maybe people in families with families don't want that kind of job. Maybe this attracts younger people, maybe people who are desperate for a job that other people don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're desperate for work. And, and maybe just those types of uh, gay relationships just naturally don't have children. You know, maybe, maybe it just, or at least not as much, but, sure. but you point out the, the children aspect, which is actually where I wanted to go with this next, it, it, you know, Andrew, Andrew is one of the gay characters in this game, but he's also, as as far as I could determine, the only character in this game with children. And I felt like they could have used his character to focus way more in on the the impact of having a child in this type of scenario. And and really by that I mean two scenarios. The first one is just you're away from your entire family and for some people that's a spouse maybe for for some of these people it's just parents or or siblings but to be away from your spouse and your child or children for a year an entire year at a time and their contract is getting renewed and they never say that they get to go home in between their contracts Uh getting renewed it doesn't sound like they get to Mm -hmm. so to be away from your child for a straight year has got to be awful and then the other aspect of it, you know, in the in the later half of the game where you're thinking, there's a darn good chance I'm going to die and never see that child again. And it didn't really seem like that factored into this, into Andrew's storyline very much at all. And being a parent, I'm really impacted by those types of storylines. And it it just really wasn't it was pretty thin. You know, we had the one Skype conversation between Andrew and his son. But other than that, there was very little talk even about his son. You know, there were a couple of messages between him and his husband. And there was the one, like maybe one of the happiest moments that I had in this game when you find out that Andrew was able to buy one of these orbital bungalows. And that was really, like, I was really happy for him. Like, that's cool. Like, these orbital bungalows sound like something that only the 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 really rich people would be able to buy. And he's been able to do that, despite the fact that you're very much given the impression that this is kind of a crap job, and these people probably aren't really making that much money. Yeah, he was he was cashing in his credit. They, they called it loyalty. Loyalty. To invest in this property, basically. Mm-hmm. And so anytime anybody rents, um, then he gets money for it. So, actually, this is... This is really important for the story. Mm-hmm. This whole so th- there's a company that runs all this Venturus, mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to launch this new orbital getaway, this hotel thing, which by the way is like a dream of mine. Oh, absolutely! Like you're telling me this is 60 years away. Like if this is at all possible, then I can't. I just can't wait. I'm so excited. In the elevators, when you're loading from one section to the other, sometimes you see ads mm-hmm. and you see like a picture of this family. And it's the mom and the dad and the kids and the dog. And they're all in a hotel room, but they're floating. Right. <laughs> There's no gravity. Oh, yeah. man, that just would be that would just be awesome. Yeah. But so it's important because the company is trying to launch this, but they aren't able to because they're designed as a fully automated system. Mm-hmm. The very thing that drives the plot to this game is this sweet sounding orbital hotel thing doesn't exist, cannot run unless this story happens with the tragedy on the space station. So Andrew has purchased 
a room, hotel, room, whatever part of this thing, mm-hmm. it can only happen if he dies on the station because the law does not allow for this thing to run because the law does not allow a fully automated orbital station. And the whole point is the bad guys, the corporation in this case, are trying to show, listen, if we don't fully automate this, humans make mistakes, honest mistakes. This isn't negligence. This is just honest mistakes. Mm-hmm. It co- it costs lives. You really need to get rid of this legislation and allow us to do this. Right. So I just thought that was interesting, that that's what he's purchasing. Yeah. And and this whole conversation around what Venturis is trying to accomplish, we'll get more to that when we get to our wrap-up of of the story at the end of the game. So keep that keep that in the back of your head. So real quick I want to hit on the AI liberation front. This is it it's an organization that isn't talked about much in the game, but we do see until a, the end. Until the end. But we do see a flyer from the AI LF in Nat's room. She seems to be involved with the the AI liberation front. And it talks about how they're operating out of this base on the Tangiers Orbital Freeport. Uh, and their big thing is they think that AI deserves what we would probably nowadays call human rights. Sure. You know, we, we talk human about rights. human rights a lot in 2017. And they're talking about the same sort of thing, but for AI. Right. Not just any AI. I mean, they're saying these are fully conscious AI. Right. So their point is any conscious being deserves the same rights that we give humans. Right. And that flyer lists off the rights. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting area of the plot that they could have explored more. Because I think that over the next couple of decades, we're going to be flooded with movies and novels and TV shows that talk exactly about that topic. Because this is a path we're heading down. You know, we've got Amazon voice services and Google assistants and, and Cortana and Siri and all of these things. And all of that is working its way towards actual artificial intelligence and robotics are progressing at a decent rate. Also, we're heading in the direction of creatures that are, you know, that, that fit the description that the AILF is talking about. And these are actual problems that we're going to have to solve as, as humans. You know, if we have these creatures walking around doing our work for us and we're essentially treating them as slaves, but they're able to think for themselves, they're able to make decisions for themselves. At what point do they deserve to have rights? Like it's, it's a really interesting topic that they don't really get into here. And I, I, you know, it's, it's a big one that I can kind of understand why they might not want to spend a ton of time on it. Oh, except that that's what happens with Odin, Mm -hmm. but they don't spend much time on it. They spend almost no time on it. Uh, And that was one of my biggest disappointments in this whole game was the AI liberation front seems to have a whole lot to do with what is actually going on in this game. And we know almost nothing about them and we're told almost nothing about them. It's, it's, it's the second big twist of the game, right? The first twist is that it's actually the company that these guys are working for that actually set them up. Mm -hmm. And, and then the second twist is that 
it turns out you're not actually working for them because the, the whole right. setup is that you're working for Venturus. You're 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 coming here specifically to retrieve Odin, the wetware, the actual hardware. Mm. It's not hard; it's wet. The actual physical Odin and retrieving him so that they can analyze him and right. figure out what's going on with him. Right. Um, but the twist is that you actually work for this organization or you're part of the organization and you, you are actually rescuing Odin mm. and taking him to a safe place. There's two big things there. And, and I think there's actually potential twists on both of them. Let's go back to the Venturous one first. We'll start. We'll, we'll at least do that in chronological order. Okay. So I found a whole bunch of gaps in, in the writing here for the Venturous aspect of this. So we're led to believe we're told that Venturus planned all of this, mm-hmm. that Venturus had this Juno AI do a bunch of research and found out that, hey, you know, if everybody on board of one of these things dies, 94% chance that the legislation that you're looking to get rid of gets overturned. Mm-hmm. So you should probably do that. Oh, and and here's the, the best station to do this on. It's yep. called Tacoma. Here's what I didn't get. Okay. If all of that is true, why is all of that information on Tacoma? How does Odin have access to all of that? Well, okay. Well, let's see if we can try to fill in the gaps, at least make up some stuff. Okay. Some plausible reasons. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why a lot of that is on the station, but I do know that Odin is part of it. So Odin is responsible for a lot of this because he was instructed to do it. So part of... He was instructed to blow the oxygen tanks and yep. he was instructed to tell people to get into cryo... Yes. So, so that information's there because he he was told it and there are records there. Mm-hmm. And presumably they never expected anybody to go into this room. Okay, but the recording of the CEO yeah, the, guy? The recording, that doesn't make any sense. I don't it know why that was sense. ever uploaded or provided to the Tacoma station. Nope. So as I thought more and more about this game over the next couple of days, a thought occurred to me, what if Venturis didn't do this? What if Odin did all of this and he's framing them yes what if odin was looking for his own freedom knew of the ai liberation front he organized for them to come and get him like he was communicating with them directly he was somehow communicating with them directly and he's the one who made these potentially fake logs that were accessible here in the system for sarah to find Mm -hmm. All to give himself a way out. Maybe. We don't know how sophisticated the technology is that he could fake this news conference or this press release or what have you. Right. Um, the press release is the hardest part of that. But, you know, if he's a fully conscious AI, why not? Sure, he can <laughs> he can fake that. Right. Well, that's an interesting idea. Because then and your, your sympathy for Odin drops pretty considerably, right? Mm, sympathy for him? I don't know. I mean, assuming you had any to begin with, well, I, suppose, I don't know, but maybe that, I mean, if, if that is the case, that's a, a very intelligent conscious AI that, that has managed to find a way out. Except that his plan for getting out involves killing six humans. No, that isn't his plan. <laughs> well, it, maybe it was his plan, but he totally didn't do that though. He, he, no, res- but it, it, it was a, a a pretty decent possibility. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of this is <laughs> it all comes down to, you know, chances, odds, percentages mm-hmm. here and and it just so happened to work out, but he he's the one who led her to that. He is. But if he doesn't lead her to it, 
then none of that information makes it out, right? Exactly. And if it never makes it out, nobody comes to get him. And right. that, well, somebody will come to get him, but not who he wants because exactly. it's going to be somebody from Venturis who is going to take him and wipe his mind, basically. Mm -hmm. So that seems like a bad idea on his part. Right. If that is his plan. Well, not if he's already been in communication with the AILF. But why, so why would he, why would he try to save these people? Because you don't think not, he was, you don't think he was saving those people. I mean, um, in this theory, he wouldn't actually be trying to save them. Well, uh, no, I, I think he probably was because he, he probably would have known flight schedules for the cruise ship that's going to Jupiter and stuff so that he could have planned this for a decent time like that. But I mean, he seems like an okay AI. He seems, who like, probably, he seems like an okay guy who probably doesn't actually want to kill all of these people. And and he probably wouldn't have known ahead of time that you stick Nat in cryo and she's a goner. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about that. It's not that big of a a part of the story, but I I, I could see him, you know, doing all of the calculations and figuring out the odds and saying, mm -hmm. you know, if I do it this way, there's a pretty decent chance that they'll all live, but I can still get this message out to make Venturis look awful, and I can still get rescued. I just I'm not sure how you get the recording of of the company principal in there. I, I don't know how you fake that. No, but like you said, there's no reason for it to be there. Why is it there? Right. Why is it there? Did he hack all of that information from some other system? Well, that's another possibility. Like, sure. Why would an AI like him be programmed in any way that would have any sort of abilities like that? It's just too big of a plot hole for me to, to let go. Like, I don't like to be that guy who walks out of a movie theater and is like, well, you know. <laughs> and, and and generally, I don't think I am that kind of guy. But this is just... So, and and as, as you know, Joe, I'm a huge fan of Fast and Furious movies, <laughs> which have huge <laughs> plot holes, and I still love them. But this one is just too big for me to, to look past. Like, uh, why is this information on to uh, I could just see it as, I don't know. It's just everything's networked together. Maybe that's just how the technology works. Everything's networked together. All this information's out there. They trust Odin. They think that he's totally under their control. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, when they say, they, they gave the list of things that he can and cannot do. Right. And he couldn't, he couldn't disobey that, even if he wanted to. Right. He wasn't able to. So if they think that he's fully under their control... And there's really no reason to lock him out of anything. They know that the 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 crew are unable, physically unable to get into this place. Mm. You know, this could just be really poor security. <laughs> right. That I guess that would be my way of answering that. So my other thing about the ending isn't so much a twist, but more of a kind of more plot holy sort of thing. As I was playing this, and and this wasn't even one that I had to think about later to come up with. This is just as I'm playing the game, as I'm getting near the end, you discover this sinister plot. One of the very first thoughts that popped into my head was, why am I here? Why did Venturis cook up this plot to kill a bunch of people and then hire some random subcontractor to go and get the evidence? As opposed to? Sending in their own team of people. I got the impression that everybody that worked there were contractors. Like even the people, even the crew of Tacoma, they're contractors and they're renewing their contract 
at this point in time. It could just be that they just, everybody is a contractor. They don't have employees in that sense. All of, I, I, I believe they use the, the, with regard to Amy, I believe they use the word subcontractor, subcontractor. Yep. which to me implies your paycheck doesn't come from Venturis. Your mm-hmm. paycheck comes from somebody else. Sure. So you don't really have that much loyalty. And then all of that, there's that word again. Yeah. There's, there's all of the security stuff that keeps popping up about how like you are only allowed in here, you know, for this type of thing. But man, whoever you send into this particular ship, they're going to come away knowing some stuff. And they're going to come away knowing some stuff that will put you in prison. So as I'm carrying Odin out to my ship, I am fully expecting to get gunned down. Yeah. Like that's super risky. Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, that it's a huge risk on their part. Um, and maybe they were going to take care of that once they, once you deliver Odin to wherever they say it, that they they want you to go. Cause they say, you can't let that person off that ship. <laughs> you can't let them off the ship. Right. But you need to get Odin back. Right. Right. So you have to have your own people who are capable of doing this. Yeah, why, yeah. And even if you don't, you got to think a company that's willing to go to these extremes probably has some people who can shoot guns too. So you send Amy up there, and following shortly behind her is the team to kill her. Yeah, but why not just use that team to just get Odin? Like, Well, but they, they might not know how to get Odin. People who are good at shooting people might not also be really good at interfacing with with advanced technology you can bring a team but it's their own it's their own technology right so that they just unlock all the doors and give them a map i think but they do can the read security a map. guards at apple know how to design the next iphone no of course not of course not so the hired guns at venturis probably don't know how to interface with uh, the odin hardware. no but to your point why not just send somebody i right. mean it Who's, right. who's designing the space station? Who is designing and, and building these AI? Who, you've got to have scientists, engineers. Yeah. Anybody. Right. So why didn't they send one of them? Why don't they send one of them? Is it, unless there's some reason why, some no, legal I, reason? I think or every action There must movie, be some reason why they had to choose a subcontractor. Every action this. movie would pick a subcontractor because they're expendable and then you kill them after they've <laughs> done the job. That's how every action movie works. Yeah, and then they manage to get, get out of that situation, kill everybody else, and they manage to escape. Right, right. but Amy doesn't look this like a superhero. Uh, it's not an action. It. It's, it's a, a action team of, of, of trained yeah. assassins. Well, you might have some legitimate plot holes there that I, I just I just can't fill, other than to say perhaps that's not the point of the story and you just got to suspend your disbelief there on so those. So what do you think is the point of the story? At a surface level, this is capitalism just run amok, right? This is a company with tons of money building some crazy space hotel thing, mm-hmm. deciding that their expansion, well, so their, their stock's going down, right? This is a company in trouble. And their way of coming back is this idea of this really cool sounding space hotel thing <laughs> that can only work if they get the law changed. And they found that they're thinking that rather than lobbying and whatever else that we do now, that it's worth killing a few people here to convince people that this law is needed. To me, that's the surface level Yep, story. I agree. I think that's the main story. I think that's probably the story they expect people to walk away from this game having learned. But I finished this game feeling like 
they were trying to tell a whole bunch of stories and that they didn't do a very good job telling any of them because there is that aspect of the story, but they've also got the AI liberation front story Mm -hmm. where they're talking about how sentient beings are going to deserve human rights or the equivalent of human rights, but there's almost nothing to it in the, in the game. There's, you know, a small amount of commentary on capitalism and its monetary system and it being switched to a loyalty based system, whether that's based on loyalty to your employer or to just loyalty to brands in general. They weren't super clear on that because again, stories way too thin to get that point across that they were trying to make. So it seems like there's at least three potential major story points that they're trying to get across here, and I don't think they did a very good job of telling any. Well, you can't forget also the 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 story of the of the characters, the people, and how they would behave and react in this sort of situation. I think I can kind of forget about the the stories well, of you, the people you, because you know what? I had to go back in our notes to even remember what Clive did. <laughs> did you remember what Clive did? Well, I mean, I at the end of the game. At the end of the game? Yeah, at the end of the game. What what was his role on the on the station? Yeah. No, I what don't was remember much. No, he's just he was just some tall dude. He had an <laughs> accent and right. he had a story that didn't matter at all. Evie had a story that like you first discover it and you're like, oh man, she lost a sister recently. That's rough. That is really rough. Nope, it's not rough <laughs> because they don't talk about it at all anymore. No, they just, Evie they just... seems impacted zero percent by the loss of her sister. Well, how recent was it? Do you remember? Because she couldn't have like been to the funeral. Like if if she's been on the station for no, a I year, think the it couldn't have been. Was, was just like a month prior. Well, she couldn't have attended. No, she didn't attend. Oh, okay. But don't you think that that would impact her? Yeah. I think that if I wasn't able to go to a sibling's funeral, I would be pretty impacted by that. She There's must not, nothing She there. must not have cared about her sister. There's a little bit about Nat and Bert and how... Bert's got a little bit of guilt because she feels like kind of a doofus and that she's holding back Nat from jobs that she could get. Other than that, not much there. We already talked about Andrew. Not much there. But that's why when you ask me, did you like this game? How much did you like this game? It's okay. Right. It's not great. No, it's not. Because there's like, I am playing this game for story and none of these stories were really all that compelling. And I think part of it is because they were trying to do too many things. And... They just weren't able to solidly address any single one of them, let alone all of them. The main story, the one that, that you talked about with mm-hmm. the corporations, you know, resorting to killing a few people to improve their their business outcome. It's an interesting story. It's a compelling story. I want to hear that story. But then you write it with these gigantic plot holes in it that makes it almost pointless there's only so much time in the game you know right so focus on less stories maybe but if you don't i mean if you don't have any story and what you gotta fall back on gameplay and if there's no gameplay then well it the entire ai liberation front thing kind of felt like it might have been tacked on at the end because they came up with this idea that the the corporation did all of this and then someone said so what happens when Amy goes to get this stuff off the ship and all of the goons are there to kill her? Is that how the game is going to end? Because that's how the game would end if this was the story. 
They're like, we don't want it to be that depressing. That would be a real downer. Let's come up with something else. I know. How about an AI liberation front? Oh, that is a great idea. It is. It's absolutely <laughs> a great idea. And to tell that story, we're going to put a flyer in Nat's office and a couple of communications with her and somebody else. And that's it until the very end. When we're like, oh, just kidding. We're not returning Odin to Venturis. <laughs> we're going to send him to the AI Liberation Front. Suffice to say, you're not satisfied with this story <laughs> in no. this story-focused game. Correct. Correct. If if they if Fulbright were to work on another game and release it in a few years, A, would you be interested in it? Yes, I would be. And B, what would be your recommendation? What's your feedback? on like i mentioned earlier this sort of genre feels like it's still in its infancy Mm -hmm. and that we're still trying to figure out ways to tell a story that's uniquely different than a movie or a tv show games allow the interactivity a lot of challenges with that Mm -hmm. in terms of telling a story but there's a lot of opportunity it seems like there's a lot of opportunity there to make something special something different so can you think of anything do you have any ideas of how we can further advance this genre uh, of games and storytelling well i still think that the absolute most important aspect of any of these types of games is the story there are interesting game mechanics here and and there is the whole idea of interactivity and how to make that work around the story But if the story isn't great, none of the rest of this matters. Because if the story in Doom or Super Mario Brothers isn't good, no one cares because the gameplay is so interesting. And I would argue that those stories are very bad. They are very bad, right. But the gameplay is really, really good. But the gameplay in Tacoma and Firewatch and Gone Home and so many of these other walking simulators, it's not interesting. I would probably say that Tacoma's gameplay mechanics are the most interesting of those games that I've listed so far, but it's not enough. I'm just going to make a game where I'm walking around listening to, to AR stories of people's interactions. That's not enough to get me to buy your game. But if it has a really, really interesting story and it's a complete story, then it is. So my biggest piece of feedback is figure out what your actual story is here. I I shouldn't be trying to guess at the end of of three hours of gameplay. Well, did they mean it to be about corporations being evil or capitalism and, and their finance systems or AI and whether or not it deserves rights? Like, I shouldn't be guessing that at this point. I should know what this story is about, and I don't. I don't expect a story to be completely airtight. There's always going to be holes in it somewhere. And I'm willing to to suspend that disbelief that you need in any form of entertainment like this. But they can't be holes as big as, as what Tacoma has. I don't want to end this on a down note. I want to ask you two more things. Okay. And they're short. The first one is, did you notice the name of the beer in the refrigerator? No. It was called Bixby. Isn't that the, isn't the Samsung thing? Yes, but it's not that. Oh, okay. You know what else it was? What? The name of the production baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really great. Okay. 
One other thing about the gameplay itself. At any point in the game, did you ever forget that you were playing as Amy and think that you were actually playing as someone else? Someone else like who? Like myself? No, like one of the other characters, one of the other crew people. Mm, I don't think so. Because I did. Who did you think you were? In, In the last half hour, 45 minutes of the game, it's all about Sarah. Yeah. And for a moment there took me a little while to, to kind of stop and realize oh wait a second i'm not sarah like it almost felt like a third person game because i'm playing the video and following behind her mm-hmm. as she's moving about the ship and moving down to to where odin's thing is and stuff that it almost felt like i was i was just playing as sarah not as amy and i thought that was i don't think that's a bad thing like did it feel like that you were experiencing these things in like present time and in, in, in yes. real time, like even, even at the end in the, and when you're back to the main hub area and, and everybody's kind of waiting there for the minute for the, uh, for the Not rescue so ship. much there, but when, when Nat and Bert are working on the drone and there's the explosion mm-hmm. and Odin is like, Hey Sarah, there might actually be another way out of mm-hmm. here. That whole section of gameplay there <laughs> where it's all about Sarah I completely got lost in the fact that I'm not Sarah. And I think that's actually a good thing. Like, I, I think that that's actually a testament to how well this mechanic can work and did work at times within the game that I was so sucked into what that particular character was doing that I completely lost sight of the fact that I'm not that character, when, which I normally would be in a game. But in this case, I'm just... I'm just watching a video <laughs> of what that character did. Yeah, I can I can totally see how you, how you'd feel that way. It's that point that point of the game where you're not seeing anybody else. All the recordings are just of Sarah, mm-hmm. and and the thing is, it feels like you're following right along behind her. Like right. these these are these recordings are starting to happen twelve hours ago, ten hours ago, mm-hmm. and so I could I could see that, but I d- I did not feel that way. Okay, I like the the notebook that you carry around. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's, it's weird. It's a computer that's like a, that looks like a notebook. When, and when you first pulled out of your ship, it has a little post-it notes on the front, like, mm-hmm. or no, it's written on. Yeah. Amy, this is for the Tacoma job. Right. So it does. It feels like you're bringing along a Manila folder or, or a notebook with you, and you're mm-hmm. going to be storing all your information on it. But I thought that was, uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah. The whole, the whole intro. I really liked the way that they brought you into the game here. As you as you're docking and your your AI is talking to you, but you 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 close up the computer, you you bring it out, and then you 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 push yourself away, or that the chair backs up, and you see your gravity boots. I assume they're gravity boots because they mm-hmm. the lights change and they release, and then you're you are free floating. Right. And I just I just I just like the whole that whole introduction. You see. I think you you see the Earth right as you're docking, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like you're docking right in front of of the Earth. That's cool. I like the in in the main hub, main hub, uh, the opposite side from the docking area. You go into the dome, mm-hmm. but that wasn't facing Earth, was it? No. But it reminded me of the the actual thing on the International Space Station where they have a, a similar type of thing that's overlooking the Earth, mm-hmm. and uh, I I just love seeing pictures uh, of that, the real pictures. So that's our thoughts on Tacoma, but we want to hear what you thought of Tacoma. You can do that in a lot of ways. We're on Twitter. I'm at Josh Pollard. Joe is at What Color Joe. And of course, the show is just at VG Story Players 
We're also on Facebook. You can post to our page there at facebook.com slash VG story players. Another thing that we would love if you're enjoying our shows, then you can help us out by leaving us a rating or a review in Apple podcast and stitcher, wherever it is that you're finding our show. Please make sure you subscribe. And then if you want to help us out, please leave us a rating or a review to help other people find out about story players. That's going to do it for our Tacoma recap episode. I'm Josh Pollard. I'm Joe DeStasio. Adios. See ya.